Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Look, Larry, welcome back to the Australian Investors Podcast. Owen, how are you, my friend? Good, mate. Recently, we talked about two undervalued small or mid-cap stocks, probably mid-cap stocks is the way to frame it. Today, we're talking about are coal stocks dead? <laughs> <laughs> you wrote that clickbait headline, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was me. So because 2022, basically, had you not invested in energy or coal stocks, you would have underperformed massively, right? 2023... I want to know, will it continue? And so your background in uh, coal and resources and accounting just sets the scene for this conversation perfectly. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. We'll see what happens. But I've got two quick questions I want to get across your desk before we dive into that, which is just trying to get a sense of you and how or if your investment process, maybe even your investment philosophy has changed over time. Personally, like you mean for, for Luke, Luke and Claire? Uh, yeah, it changes all. Uh, philosophy, no. Uh, it's been pretty standard for a while now, pretty similar for a while now. Yeah, like it does change. You know, we are trying to be better all the time and trying to improve all the time. So uh, the kind of things we're investing in changes. But the sort of the core of it's the same. I mean, we try and buy businesses where, you know, we can benefit from other people's human capital from their skills so you know i'm trying to build a portfolio of companies that at a macro level it's not anyone's nothing specific here but at a macro which you know gives me exposure to other people's ability to generate above average returns as a result of their efforts and skill and diligence and all kinds of privilege and bias and benefit you know in the same way i'm trying to do that in my little corner of the world with my business and and the people that i work for you know other people are doing similar things whether they're making coffee machines or selling insurance or making podcasts like it's you know i'm trying to build a portfolio of companies so that if something was ever had to happen to my ability to generate returns from my human capital i would have a diverse range of others who are able to sort of support my lifestyle you know so that i'm not negatively impacted and and that's realistically what I suppose our sort of philosophy is and we find that companies the best way to do that and they give us the maximum kind of flexibility and I like the transparency like there's reporting requirements there's a standardized agreed sort of 
templates for lack of a better word, which is accounting sort of standards. But there is ways to which to talk about these businesses, compare and contrast them and 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 think about things. And and then there's a market mechanism there to price them. So it, to me, that's that's kind of what we do with our sort of excess, I suppose, and spare money. And yeah, like we don't really gear it that hard. I don't trade a heap, a bit, but not a heap. Probably my turnover is more in my SMA than in my own personal portfolio and 95% of my money is in my SMA. So I hold a few things that are sort of legacy outside that, but that's pretty much it. So yeah, that's kind of our, our approach, man. Pretty much just invest in my own product and and try and keep that as a diversified portfolio without being hyper-diversified to the point that you know none of those people's human capital matters anymore because you've got so little exposure to anyone. I love that answer around um, the stock market or businesses, the way to take advantage of human capital and the like the specialization, the skills and the talents of people. Yeah, and that's exactly how I think about the stock market and businesses. I think of them as like, it's where innovation starts, right? And it's where the world moves forward is through business because it's just people coming together to form what we know as a company, which is basically the way the world drives. So I love that. Transforming, you know, like you, you take one set of resources and you transform it into another set of resources and the best transformers win. Like that's pretty much the people who can take in one unit and turn it into 100 units are better than the ones that turn it into 10. And that's just kind of, yeah, I suppose... Yeah, what you're trying to capture. You're trying to capture, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so one more question before we get to the coal stocks is um, when you, the team at Seneca look at companies or research businesses, are there any fail-safes or cross-checks that you do throughout that process to stop things like bias or mistakes happening? Like we all make mistakes, but are there things that you put <laughs> in place, you know? <laughs> yeah, we never make mistakes at Seneca. It's, it's, uh, no, um yeah, we've got this magic eight ball that we shake. <laughs> uh, how do we stop bias? Look, we're like a relatively small team. So, you know, there's five of us on the investment committee and we're all pretty diverse in what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. And if you want to do something, you got to sell it. And you got to sell it to everyone. And they're all a bunch of cynical old bastards as far as I'm concerned. I mean, <laughs> a hard time about all my ideas and calling me an idiot at the end of the day like it's good it, it like john my business partner he's like didn't, i've never as far as I, he's concerned i've never had a good investment idea everything's negative everything's like show me the proof you know blah 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 like it's always hard and i suppose that's kind of good it makes me have to really prove myself and benny as well you know the analyst who works with me uh, really prove ourselves and prove our ideas and then to be honest, like we ask, I often run a lot of my kind of high conviction stuff against anyone who will talk to me and anyone who's interested and wants to have a crack. And I read anyone who's got an educated opinion about something and just try and prove myself wrong all the time and test my assumptions all the time with smart people. And luckily I've got a really nice network of people that I can do that with across industries now. And yeah, I just think that's what you know networking for me is all about. It's being able to be a voice of reason and, and sounding board for other people's ideas in their businesses and what they're doing. And by the same token, you know, if I've got a question about mortgage broking or coal stocks or whatever, I can actually bounce that off practitioners who do that every day and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What, how are you thinking? Are you planning for that in your business? You know, what do you think the returns will look like? What are going to be the pitfalls? And 
kind of put that qualitative information into our sort of quantitative thinking around assumptions and then, you know, bingo, bango, you might have an idea. Yeah, I like it, man. I like it. The small teams tend to be more effective in my experience too if you want true active management. So you sent through a bunch of notes and research from the team on coal companies, right? And I was expecting, like, I was like, bring my hands together. I'm like rubbing them together. I'm like, okay, Luke's going to tell me something like, he's going to be like coal stocks. Yeah, great. Like wide margins, like just hear the same narrative that I've heard everywhere else. But then you come in and then you're like, no, we need to talk about this on air. So I don't actually know exactly what you're going to say, but I've got a feeling that is not what I thought. So I don't know how you want to start this, but there are a lot of coal stocks in the ASX. Maybe if you want to I think one of the things you wanted to do is like break it apart into like thermal coal or metallurgical coal. Maybe if we start with that and then we can just drill down. Yeah, I, I think my old job was selling coal. That's why I used to do for a living. For Vale, the big steel company, iron ore company from Brazil. Think of them as Brazilian Telstra who do mining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so big ex-government thing that got privatized and is now a private company and it trades on New York Stock Exchange and Bovespa in Brazil. I think a lot of investors in Australia get confused or don't know the difference between metallurgical coal for making steel and thermal coal for making power. And then a lot of people say to me, oh, I don't want to invest in thermal coal, and we'll get to that in a minute, but they sort of go, I want to invest in metallurgical coal, and Whitehaven Coal have 57% of their production as metallurgical coal. And it's like, well, you've kind of missed a big bit in the middle there. And that is the detail about metallurgical coal. So every coal on the planet that gets sold on a boat has a spec sheet. And every mining company mine that mines coal mines to a spec sheet. And certain parts of the world and certain coal seams have different characteristics. And in metallurgical coal, it's really, really, really important what those spec sheets are. There's actually various sort of product categories, all the way from premium, low vol hard coking coal, very hard, very high quality coking coal that's mined to somewhere like Peak Downs or Goonyella in Murrumbuck, North Queensland, owned by BHP and Mitsubishi in a joint venture, BMA Alliance. Those sort of coals, they've got very big CSR, coke strength, uh, coke after strength after reaction. And that means there's essentially, they're very hard, lots of carbon, very hard. And they've got a bunch of other features, which I'm not going to go into all the nuance of coal trading and you know how it works. The net net is they're good. They're very good. They pay a premium price for those products. Then you have a normal hard coking coal, which looks similar to those kind of premium low vol coals. Uh, might be a bit higher vol, uh, might be a bit lower rank, uh, might be a little bit softer, uh, lower CSR score. And then you head down to like PCI coals, which are a version of semi-soft coking coal that's used in a particular way in a blast furnace to achieve a particular thing. And then you have semi-soft coking coals, which is exactly what Whitehaven Coal and Coronado mine, and they say they're a metallurgical coal mine. They are, but the difference between a semi-soft coal from the Hunter and Newcastle 3000 thermal coal is like nothing. And if you look at the pricing, premium they get above the thermal coal price, it varies through time and there's some you know market dynamics and stuff that go on, but it's like almost the same. It's like, so if you want pure met coal exposure from a listed company, you know, you can buy BHP in Rio um, or Anglo, but they've got a bunch of other mines. They're all diversified miners doing all kinds of things. So you're not really getting any exposure. Tech minerals in, in, in the US, that's the main kind of pure play coking coal. And they're doing a spin out thing. Again, not going to go into the, the whole thing, but 
tech's an interesting business and a good way to play Coke and coal. That's T-E-C-K. Yeah, T-E-C-K, tech, yeah, tech resources. So in Australia, let's just call a spade a spade. We're talking about thermal coal mining. It's Whitehaven, Coronado, New Hope, Stanmore. Let's not talk about Stanmore for the minute, but they're going to probably, they're doing some Coke and coal, but it's kind of middle of the road. But the companies that you probably know and have been around for a while, they're thermal coal or semi-soft, low quality, shall we say, coking coal. Look, is that priced off the thermal coal price? Is that how the price is? It can be. So you can buy. So sometimes if thermal coal, if semi-soft is cheap relative to hard coking coal benchmark as a percentage, like low 60s percentile, what often happens is uh, you have producers, thermal coal miners, buying semi-soft blending and upgrading their calorific value of their thermal coal and selling like you know six and a half thousand or seven thousand calorie you know kcal coal so because there might be a premium customer who wants that or they want to take that to asia and or indonesia and blend it with a high ash coal like there's lots of blending and massaging of product to get it to a certain spec to fit a certain market or market need or demand and there's lots of coal traders that sit in there trying to buy half a boat of this and half a boat of that, stick it together, and one plus one equals 1.2. That's sort of a uh, 2.2, sorry. So, you know, like that sort of thing happens a lot. It really does depend on availability in a region, if there's a boat there, rail about, like there's lots of machinations that go into why semi-soft might be more of a premium or less of a premium to thermal at any given time. And certainly, but I would say that semi-soft coke and coal has more to do, is closer to thermal in terms of what it actually is than whatever everyone talks about. Oh, Whitehaven's got a coke and coal. Yeah, but it looks nothing like what comes out of Peak Downs. It looks like nothing that comes out of Siraji. So I'm just trying to, I suppose, dispel this myth, which I think is perpetuated across the market that these are coke and coal companies. Then, then they are, but they aren't. And then the dynamics of their margins and the thing, they much look much more like a, a typical thermal coal miner. What about New Hope or Yankol? Uh, Yankol, New Hope, they're all in the Hunter. So, I mean, so New Hope's in Queensland. They've got Bangala Thermal Coal Mine, a uh, really good thermal coal mine, actually. New Hope's a really well-run business. I know lots of people there. A lot of ex-Valley people work for New Hope now. And they're going to be expanding production. And Bangala's a pretty good asset. And they bought it at a really good price, really good timing. You can make and lose a lot of money transacting mines because of the cycle. So, you know, I think it's no surprise that, you know, Whitehaven's cut their dividend to reinvest in, in CapEx for what they're doing and because they know that they're, gonna, they're not going to make as much money in the future and they're going to need that the capital. You know, they can't be afforded to return that to shareholders today. And BHP is selling Dornier and Blackwater, I think, and probably Stanmore will buy them. They're on the border of Dornier. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do that. But, you know, you're buying at the top of the cycle. It's The cycle's turning for coal for a range of reasons, and we can get into that in a minute. But, yeah, I think understanding the nuance of the ASX-listed sort of coal companies and what they're doing is important because we do sort of get into this rhetoric around coking coal's got different dynamics, but Semisoft's sort of on the border of being a coking coal, if you know what I mean. Okay. Is this more like a thing where most investors who come to you or clients that come to you, they say, I want metallurgical coal because from an environmental perspective, it sits better with me? Can be, yeah. And I think it's important for Australians, I think, to understand around the coal. You can't necessarily just, just mine coking coal. 
you know, thermal coal and coking coal come in seams. You might be mining two or three seams at a, at a given time, whether that's underground or open cut. So you, you just have to mine both. And, you know, most of our thermal coal gets exported overseas and goes to Japan, Korea, Taiwan, India. So, you know, we're not burning a lot of thermal coal here in Australia and a lot of it's going to places where they're developing countries. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of, I think, also in the political sort of argument. It's a bit tricky to say, oh, let's only mine coal for steel making because we need steel, but we should we don't want to burn coal anymore. It's not quite that simple. But so here's, okay, so I'm going to take the devil's advocate approach here. Like, so someone will say, well, Whitehaven's at a price to sales ratio of less than one. It's at a price earnings ratio of four. Four. So it's cheap. Why would I sell now? Well, rule number one of resources investing is buy on high PEs and sell on low PEs. Which is contrary to what a lot of people think. Yeah, no one really realises that, but resources are cyclical businesses, right? So prices go up, prices go down. They don't know when they're going up and they don't know when they're going down. And anyone who pretends, you know, to tell you otherwise has never been inside a mining company doing a price supply demand model like I used to do for a living. So so I don't, I don't think... Uh, so don't think for a second that because BHP used price XYZ in their long-term forecast, they won't change it next year when the cycle changes. Oh, I think that's that's fine. So yeah, you want to be buying when they look expensive on a PE basis because the earnings are in the background, for lack of a better word, and the prices are, are, are very low. So then you know, the, it looks expensive and then you buy it there and then hopefully the cycle turns and the, and the prices get better and the PE drops. So I don't really buy into the odds on four times earnings or, I mean, anyone using a price to sales ratio for a mining companies not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that, you know, there's that. And then I think people need to understand that thermal coal is just a source of energy and there are alternative sources of energy, in particular gas, that are also able to be used as, as substitutes. And gas and, and thermal coal globally are partially substitutable. And as a result of the liquidity of thermal coal markets relative to gas markets, gas markets being much larger globally in terms of volumes traded and amount of money that goes into them every day, tend to have a pretty good predictive power of determining where coal prices are going to go. So it doesn't take much and maybe you can do a fancy edit here, Owen, and put it up the chart. But, you know, you put up NYMEX gas and you put up Newcastle 6,000 coal, you'll see that the gas price is pointing to the fact that energy as a, you know, as a metric in gas is being, you know, there's less demand or more, more excess supply at the moment um, and the prices, you know, collapsed. And if you look at the correlation of the ASX-listed coal companies to the thermal coal price, you'll realise that's really, really tight. So if coal stocks follow coal prices and coal prices follow gas prices, then I think that it's fair to say that uh, we've reached a peak. We've passed a peak for coal stocks, and my expectation would be we'll see those stocks trade lower. Yeah, right. So, okay, so if you could find a pure play, high-grade metallurgical coal business on the ASX, you're, you're, you'd have a different take, but you can't really get that because they're stuck inside these motherships that also do copper and all these other types of things. Yeah, and, and I think coking coal prices have been much more stable, shall we say, than thermal coal prices in terms of their appreciation recently. Coking coal's done well, don't get me wrong. It's been highly profitable and the the miners are doing, you know, doing well. But if you know, if you said to me, Oh, Luke, can you buy a, would you buy kind of at any point in the cycle a first quartile costs large scale hard coking coal product and a bit of semi-soft or a bit of PCI that goes with it? 
kind of like what Stanmore have bought for a, a couple of their assets with South Walker Creek and Coy Trail. Yeah, I mean, I would. And now I don't know how much Hardcoat and Coal is left in those deposits. And I'm sure that'd be a question for the CEO, Marcelo Matos, who's my old boss. But assuming that they are, they're doing their normal or their historical 70-30 kind of ratio, then they're probably good buyers and probably will be a good asset for that business for a long time. But the thermal coal markets are, are very cyclical and thermal coal prices long-term are well below the current price and obviously miles below the peak, which has really been induced by a lack of Russian supply going to Europe. And therefore, Europe's got to go into the seaborne market to source coal. So it's just this big sort of like demand shift and supply doesn't change that quickly in commodity markets. So it's why we get big cyclical things is because demand can be quite, our supply is, is pretty inelastic, I should say, and demand can be whatever it can be. Uh, just a little nerdy question. You mentioned before when you were doing these calculations, you called them something like supply price something. Oh, like incentive price. Yeah, yeah. What can you just explain what that is for anyone that's like intrigued by that? Let's just do thermal coal because it's just like a uniform product and we just we're just buying energy. Let's say you normalized everyone's production costs to a standard product so that we said that every mine's producing the same product, which you can do the math to do, but we're not going to go into it. But then you mapped on a chart and you said, okay, well, the cheapest cost of production mine in the world is five bucks a ton all the way up to the most expensive at 200 bucks a tonne for their incremental tonne of production. And that total is 100 million tonnes. I'm just making these numbers up. but And let's say we've modelled demand by going through all the power stations in the world and looking at GDP growth and you know all that kind of fun sort of economic modelling. And we've said, okay, there is 70 million tonnes of demand every year. So uh, we draw a line at 70 million tonnes and that would be what we'd call the incentive price. It's the price where their demand and supply, like on your equilibrium sort of economics 101 chart, meet. And we would say that if we took an average weighted average cost of capital or expected return and we knocked off, say, 15% to make it worthwhile doing, or sometimes it's 20 in some of these calculations, what would be a project that would get up that's not mining now that would mine in that environment? Okay. And that's what we call the incentive price, the price where someone's got an incentive to put down a billion dollars, open up that coal mine. We've got to have the resource, got to have the infrastructure. There's other things that go into them actually being able to physically do it. And that's why these models, like in lithium, which I'm sure we'll have another rant on another day, <laughs> but the supply side's always overestimated. People always think there's going to be supply faster, cheaper, and, and easier than it ever ends up coming. It's because it's more complicated than doing the fancy chart where you get the supply you got to be better than that. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's what incentive price is. And it's a really good way to do your long-term valuations is to figure out what the incentive price is. Now, the average punter at home is never going to be able to do it. I would suggest for coal, you just if you can pay and go and get like Wood McKenzie research, which is what pretty much all of the brokers use and then just augment a bit and, you know, do. So, and they're pretty good. And then if you've got a really intimate knowledge of coal mines, which um, I used to have, I don't really have any more, but you can start to sort of change the supply and the demand dynamics because you've got essentially inside information where what your customers are asking you for and, you know, you know what all the coal miners are talking about in the crib. So that's sort of, that's pretty much what how, how you do uh, long-term price forecasting and what incentive pricing. No, I love that. That's great. That's a nerd evaluation that makes 
<laughs> makes a lot of sense and I like it. Okay, so maybe just to put a bow on this for folks. So there will be a link in the podcast player if you're listening to this and you want to hear more from Luke. There will be a link in there to go and get in contact with Luke if you really want to challenge his views. So give it to me. Yeah. But uh, if you also want to get a report from Luke's team on three dividend stocks, there'll be a link to that in the podcast player as well. But mate, let's just put a bow on this by asking, so would you invest in any of the ASX listed coal companies at the moment? Would you hold them? Do you hold them? I don't, we, don't, we don't own them. We don't own them. And would I short some? I think so, probably. Really? So you know, your conviction is so strong it goes the other way. Yeah, I mean, we don't short in our model and we don't run a business that shorts. We might in the future, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> at the moment, no, we don't. And so, no, and I, and I wouldn't do a PA. It's not something that's not the kind of trading I'd do for my own, sorry, personal account, PA. But, you know, so, no, I, I mean, yes, I think like I like New Hope Management. I like their approach. I think they've got strategic value. So I probably like New Hope the best. They're probably the most conservative, give you the least leverage as well. Good dividend policy, good free cash flow. They got a good project that hopefully they can get government approval for out the back of uh, Toowoomba Way. So if they get that up, which they should, I know there's a lot of politics around it, but if they do, I think that's going to be good. New Auckland stage three. So yeah, we like New Hope and CEO is a personal friend of mine. So obviously a bit biased there. I think he's a good man, Rob. So there's that. And then yeah, Stan Moore, Marcelo, who runs that is no idiot and he's a really good operator and, and uh, I've worked with him personally and he's a, you know been great for me personally from a career perspective so it's rob actually at new hope when i worked with them at valley so i wouldn't want to bet against those guys but yeah you know in general they're, they're not magicians and their stock price will follow the coal price and any commodity company eventually ends up back at a pretty high correlation regardless of stock specific issues so Yep, there might be a bit more free cash flow to come. And I hear a lot of fund managers saying they're, you know, they're buyers now on these low PEs at, at free cash flows, but they're pretty, they're either fund managers who run resources funds, so they have to invest in stuff. Yeah, constrained mandate. Or they're hedge fund guys who are like generalists who look at spreadsheets and see free cash flow and yields and low valuations and get blood flow below the belt. And I think they're wrong. But look, you know, we'll see. I think uh, as uh, Luke's kind of articulated, it's a volatile space if you don't know what you're doing. I do not invest in coal stocks for this very reason. It's well outside my circle of competence. Yeah, and we don't love resources either as a general comment. Like like our SMA holds some resources exposure, but we tend to stick to the structural stuff. You know, we like lithium because we don't see it as a cyclical commodity market. We see it as a structural shift in the way that we spend a lot of our money. So it's a way to play a shift in consumer preferences, not dick all to do with commodities and mining. It happens to be the way that you get exposure to those things, but it's got not really much to do with that. I think buying established resource businesses that you know, have been around for 30 years or whatever is a much more cyclical proposition. So you need to be on the right side of the cycle or you're going to lose historically 30 to 50% of your capital. Well, if you want to invest with Luke, check out the show notes. Uh, there'll be a few links in there. Uh, we've also had a conversation about lithium in the past. So uh, there'll be a link in there for that as well. But Luke, mate, until next time, uh, stay classy and appreciate you joining <laughs> me. Lack of classy, but yeah, uh, thanks. I appreciate you having me on, mate.
For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.